As I spent time uh, in this passage this week, there was one line that kept haunting me, and again, amazing how things work out. It's what Grant just read. We have no king but Caesar. These words feel really jarring uh, when considered on their own, and within um, the context of John's account, they actually mark a really significant shift in our story. They're essentially what mark the beginning of the end of Jesus' final leg of the journey towards the cross. So a lot has gone on leading up to this point. Jesus has been betrayed, mocked, questioned, ridiculed, and passed around from one authority to another. When we read John's account of these events, you kind of get this sense of an amounting chaos, this building tension. There's religious and sociopolitical dynamics at play, there's accusations, confusion, um, and it's just this building mob mentality. And amidst all this unrest, these words pierce through and bring almost a bit of a clarity to the reality of all this chaos. We have no king but Caesar. As I've spent time reflecting on this line, I believe that it's chilling nature comes from how profoundly it actually encapsulates the distance of God's people from him in this moment and how truly desperate they are in need of the atonement that is about to take place. We have no king but Caesar. Notice that these words come from Israel's chief priests. It's Israel's greatest religious leaders um, and if you look at the rest of our lectionary passages today, you would see that the passages from Exodus and Isaiah and the Psalms um, just have all these moments that are pointing to what's happening. And then here you have these men who have dedicated their lives to knowing these scriptures, embodying them in their community, and they're completely missing it. Uh, these men... Um, are the ones who, if anyone, should know what is going on right now. And in light of all this, they are the ones at the top of their lungs saying, we have no king but Caesar. And now in light of our exploration of righteousness that we've kind of been on during this Lenten season, I was struck by the fact that it is those who are regarded as the most righteous in society uh, who were doing this, who were saying this. And I think that's a really humbling thing for us to acknowledge. It makes me wonder if after the fact they actually looked back on, on what they were proclaiming and if they actually thought what they were saying was true. So up until this point, Jesus' kingship um, has been mocked and rejected and he's been blasphemed. And like I said, in John's account here, this is kind of our turning point in the narrative. Um, it's essentially the nail that um, seals Jesus' fate, that he's going to the cross. And it's the very, these very words that actually lead to him being turned over to be crucified. We have no king but Caesar. These are the words in which Jesus is forsaken. What would it be like to hear these words as Jesus, the one who was there in the beginning, the one in whom all things were made, the one in who is life, is love, the one who chose these people, the one who came to fulfill the law, the one who came to rescue, the one who is worthy of the title king more than anyone else who has lived and would live. And he's being forsaken and sent to death by the words, we have no king but Caesar. These are heavy words. 
They're loaded words, and they're heartbreaking words on so many fronts. Now, before we become perhaps a little too judgmental or astounded by the chief priest's proclamation, I want us to think about how these words might show up in our own life, how in moments of weakness, disconnect, distraction, being influenced by the mob, we might also find ourselves proclaiming, I have no king, but you fill in the blank. Influence, control, reason, safety. I feel like there's a lot of different names that we could put into this line in place of the word Caesar. Now, once you've filled in that blank, I'm going to ask you how you would feel if that statement was actually true. What would it be like to have no king but, or to have no king at all? How would that impact you? What sort of implications would that have on your life? What sort of reality would that leave you in? What if the chief priest's statement was true? What if they truly had no king? Or what if their only king was Caesar? In many ways, the Israelites had been living under this uh, sort of reality for a, quite some time. When I hear these priests proclaim this, I now hear a tired and broken and desperate people who have lost sight of who they are, and more importantly, whose they are. Men who may have had the best intentions, but lost their hope along the way. There are numerous ways that we could analyze the cause and the effect of this situation, but I want us to just uh, settle into and feel the weight of this reality. God's people, standing before their long-awaited Messiah, face-to-face with the king that they have waited for and been anticipating for centuries, now lobbying for his crucifixion with the words, we have no king but Caesar. And if you know anything about Caesar, you know that he's a far cry from a desirable king and an even further cry from the type of king that God promised his people. So what went wrong? So much has gone wrong. How could we have strayed this far? How have we lost the ability to see? Next, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' followers. Imagine the experience of those who wholeheartedly embraced Jesus as their long-awaited king, those who entrusted their lives to him, who put their hope in him, to those who now probably looked up at the cross and in a very different tone said, we have no king. We thought we had a king, but now we don't. We thought he was the king, but what if he wasn't? Even if he was, he's gone. Our king is gone. Do we truly have no king but Caesar? Again, I want you to ask yourself, what if this were true? What if this was it? As these and so many other dynamics of Jesus' passion play out throughout this day, all of the gospel accounts depict Jesus as being relatively quiet. He's not silent, um, but you get the sense when he does speak and when he does respond to things, there's very much intention behind it. When we get to the end of John's account, we read Jesus' final words, where it is finished. These words seek 
speak of the atonement and the restoration that is taking place within the entire gospel narrative. But in light of this, they also profoundly speak to very specific moments. As the people cry out, we have no king but Caesar, Jesus cries back, it is finished. That is it. It is done. It is not true. That is not the reality. It is no longer. It has been taken care of by me. You have a king who is not Caesar. Watch and see.